the question is, do you have problems? Everybody could raise their hand and say, well, yeah, we've all got problems of one kind or another. But sometimes we, the question we really want to get to is, do we have a solution for those problems? That's usually the first question that we ask, right? You know, we want to know, how can I stop or how can I change what's going on? Fortunately, there's often a lot of help for us with whatever we're dealing with, sometimes just in the form of, of books. For example, people who are dealing with cancer, they can find some encouragement, some guidance, just by listening to other people who have gone through that. And so you find out how you can live with cancer. Or, or maybe if you're going through some emotional problems, you can get some help too. There are some books that, that help you, for example, how to, how to handle your anxiety. And if you're struggling with raising your kids, there's hope there too. You can have a new kid by Friday. Isn't that great? Right there. In a few days, you can have a brand new kid. And uh, ladies, if your kid is a little bit older uh, and you call him your husband, uh, you can even have a new husband by Friday. So there's a lot of advice out there on how to handle the problems that we have. But sometimes it's the second question that goes unanswered and may be troublesome to us that we ask when we're going through difficult times, and that is why. Why am I going through this difficult time? And whatever books might be out there to help us maybe handle our problems, sometimes they can't adequately or even at all address the question of why, why I'm going through this. But there is a book that does tell us not only how to handle the problems, what the solution for the problems is, but also why we may be going through them. And that's, of course, God's book, the Scriptures. The Scriptures tell us that there's a solution for our problems, to let Jesus handle them. And when he does, we can simply say the answer is grace. I want to take you into the life of the Apostle Paul and show you how he teaches us about handling problems, and that's simply that Jesus handles them for us, and it's all about grace. Listen to these words that he shares in his second letter to the Corinthian Christians. He starts mid-sentence here. Because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This morning, I'd like you to think about 
one of the problems that you've experienced. Maybe it's something going on now in your life. Maybe it's something in the past. And just think about that as, as I'm talking this morning and see how these things I'm talking about maybe fit in with your experience with that problem. Now, sometimes you maybe have noticed that people have no problem talking about their problems. And they do that maybe because it helps them psychologically to deal with it. But maybe they also do it because they're trying to find out some solutions, get some support. But sometimes people, always, sometimes people often do it simply because they want to let other people know how things are going. And that's what Paul was doing. He was simply letting us know how through all of his problems, there is grace that's at work in his life. Now as we look at his words this morning, we're going to see that he gives us three ways in which grace is working in our life. And the first way he starts out is by telling us grace is there to honor us. Now Paul was writing this letter because he was going through a difficult time. And the difficult time was people weren't accepting of him. They thought he was a phony. They thought he was just in this to try to get a following for himself, make a name for himself, get some money. They really didn't think that he was qualified to be an apostle of Christ. And so they questioned him, his motives, his methods, and his message. But Paul would also reveal that the real attack that he was experiencing didn't come from these people, but it came from the devil. Because Paul recognized that in his past, as well as in his present, he was a sinner. Somebody who was opposed to God's ways. In fact, in his past, he tells us how zealous he was for putting people to death who believed in Jesus. He was an enemy against God. As he looks at his life, though, and wonders, then how could he be, possibly be an apostle now? He noticed it was all because of grace in his life honoring him. He talked about himself and he talks about us describing us as jars of clay in a few chapters before our text this morning. He said, we have this treasure, meaning God's grace, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul was saying, I have weaknesses and I have faults. I am a sinner but I have grace. I am like a clay jar that's fragile and maybe even cracked and broken, but I have grace. And it's that grace of God that's the power at work through what he was doing, even in difficult times. Paul would go on then to say in the next verses, well, he's reminding us that, his great, that God's grace was simply working to save us, and he would go on now and show how God's grace was working in his life. In the middle of that slide, he said, We are troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. He was simply reminding us that God saves us by his grace, honors us in calling us his children. 
But Paul also spoke then about how God would take these vessels of clay and use them in his plan, calling us into service for him. You see, a vessel, a pot or a plate or whatever it might be, was designed for a purpose, to provide a service. And that's what Paul was saying about himself as a jar of clay. He was designed by grace and honored now to be a service, a vessel for God in his service. Now, at the beginning of our text, Paul talked about some surpassingly great revelations. Several times in Paul's ministry, God had revealed his will to him in rather uh, miraculous, supernatural ways. In fact, one time, God even took Paul to heaven to let him see the paradise of God. But God told him that whatever he had seen and heard, he was not to share. Now we might wonder, then why would God show all of him that if he wasn't supposed to tell us about it? Don't know exactly, but maybe it was just meant as encouragement for Paul. Because Paul would go through some very difficult times. So maybe God was trying to show him, there's the finish line. And that's what's on the other side. So keep going, don't stop, don't give up. Of course, Paul's words would also be encouragement for us then, too. That there is a glorious finish line. Don't give up. So the first thing we can note then about grace working in our life is that it honors us. To save us, though we're sinners. And to call us into his service, even though we're sinners. And that's where we need to start on this topic of how to deal with our problems. You see, that's where Paul started. He started talking about how blessed he was by God. Oftentimes when we go through difficulties, we're so focused on the problems that that becomes overwhelming, and we forget how much God has also blessed us. So in our problems, remember also the blessings we have from God. And that means starting with who we are, that we're his children redeemed by him, and promised eternal life with him. And then recognize that God's grace is still working in our life. He keeps giving us more and more grace. That's what we get from the word. That's what we get from the sacrament, is more and more of God's assurance of his love, and that will strengthen us. And then, with our eyes of faith open, we can look around and see how God is working in our life, how that grace keeps working to bless us even through difficult times. So if you ever find yourself maybe overwhelmed or or frustrated by the problems you have in life, stop looking around and start looking up and be reminded of how God has honored you with his grace. Now Paul goes on to tell us a second thing about God's grace working in our lives. He says, because of these surpassingly great revelations, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord 
to take it away from me. What he's reminding us there is that sometimes God's grace works in our life in order to humble us. Now, he tells us a little bit about how God was working, what God's plan was. He speaks of there being a thorn in his flesh. Other times in the scriptures, like we heard from Peter's writing earlier, it's simply referred to as trials, testing that we go through, times of trouble. And those troubles can come in all different ways. Could be physical troubles that we experience, like illnesses or injuries. There might be other troubles that we experience, challenging times with, with our jobs, with our finances, with, with relationships. All sorts of different ways, various kinds of trials that we experience. Paul referred to his as a thorn in the flesh. So it was something physical that he was suffering. And he called it a thorn, not just a little stinger, a little bite, but something that was sticking in him, that was there continuously, and it was tormenting him. Now, we don't know exactly what it was because he doesn't tell us, which is good because then we can kind of generalize that to any of our experiences. Some people think, well, it might have been the poor eyesight that he had because he refers to that in another letter. And maybe that was causing headaches. Maybe he had migraines. It might have been that Paul had malaria. Some people think he had that because at one point when he was in the lowlands in Galatia, he had gotten sick and had to abandon the mission. But whatever it was, it was clear that this was something that was part of God's plan to humble him. You see, God has reasons for the troubles that we experience. And part of the plan is maybe that he sends it, he brings it into our life, or maybe he bends it. By that I mean he allows it to come from the world around us, maybe even from the devil, but he's going to shape it so that it will always work for his purposes, which is always to bless us. So let's talk about then, what are his purposes in humbling us? Well, sometimes God needs to repair this broken, whoop, we went too far there. There we go. Sometimes um, we need, he needs to work to repair this, this broken vessel. If we're a clay pot, sometimes this pot is kind of weak and needs to be made stronger. If we're a clay pot, sometimes we might have a crack or a chip or be broken, and God wants to repair that. Sometimes, you know, we're just not strong. Sometimes we have sinned. Sometimes we have put ourselves in a situation where we're not able to carry out God's will, or maybe we don't want to carry out God's will. We want to go in a different path. And it doesn't necessarily mean sinning, it's just not where God wants us to go. So God is going to work to repair us. For Paul, he said, it was to keep me from becoming conceited. He had all these great revelations of heaven, and maybe that would have caused Paul to boast about that. Hey, you should see what God did for me. You should see how he took me to heaven. And then who knows? Maybe he'd write a book about it and have book signing events, or maybe there'd be a movie made about it or whatever, and you could see how that would give Paul a big head. It wasn't about Paul. It was about God's grace. 
You see, sometimes we take the blessings that God has given us and we own it so much that we brag about, look what we've done. Moses had to warn the people of Israel about that as, as they were about to go into the land of Canaan to live in that beautiful land. He said, they could become conceited too. He said, now you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Don't forget about God working to bless you. Sometimes God uses those difficulties we experience as discipline. And in that word discipline, we hear the word disciple. He's simply trying to disciple us, to make us better followers of him. The writer to the Hebrew Christians brings that out. He said, they, that is our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So you see, there's another purpose that God has not just to repair us, but also to prepare us. Because we are his chosen vessels, his instruments to be used by him in ministry for his purposes. And so he can shape us through those troubles. And so we shouldn't say, in spite of my troubles, but maybe it's because of my troubles that God is training me and going to use me. In other words, just like Paul would say at the beginning of this letter, just as we have received comfort from God in our troubles, we now can comfort others in the troubles they experience with the exact same comfort we have received from God. And I see that happening in our congregation. I see how people who have gone through illnesses or other tough times have helped those who are now going through those similar things. They share their experiences and give them some encouragement, always pointing them back to how God's grace works through our life. You maybe have heard this sentence before, don't just go through it, but grow through it. That's the advice that Paul is giving us. In whatever circumstance we go through in life, Look how God's grace is working and grow through it. That means put your attention to him. Turn to him for the help that you need and then trust what he is doing because his grace is always at work to bless you. And then watch how he's going to work. Watch how all of these things start to come together to bless you. As you experience that, then don't hold back, but share it with others, that they too may be encouraged in their life. Maybe it means saying a prayer, a prayer for them. Maybe it means just speaking a, a word of encouragement, doing something kind for them, or maybe sitting down and having a comforting conversation with them. 
whatever it might be. Help one another to see how God's grace is working in their life to bless them. And that's what Paul goes on to tell us now. God's grace is working even through our problems to help us. Listen how Paul explains it. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace may not take away the problem we're experiencing, but it will be there to strengthen us, to help us. It will be there through all those tough times in order to help us endure through it. In the practice of lifting weights, people are often advised to have a spotter there with them. Now, the spotter's job is to watch over the person lifting the weights that if for some reason he gets into trouble that he can't continue with the motion, he doesn't want those weights to come down on him, of course, so the spotter is there to take, it, to take, take over. God's grace is like that spotter in our life. When those burdens are too tough, He's there to make us strong. He's there to step in and to handle that problem for us. So it replaces our weaknesses with the strength and the guidance of God's wisdom and power. But there's even more. Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not only is God's grace sufficient, it's efficient. That is, it works. It accomplishes something. And Paul listed three things. He said, first of all, it gives me strength. So even though I see my weakness, I see God's strength working in my life. That strength will help me endure and persevere through it, but that strength will also help us to understand and accept what's going on. That grace is efficient in that it works to carry us through whatever that burden is. Paul's life was filled with a lot of troubles. He listed them there, right? Insults and persecutions. He was put on trial. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was in shipwrecks. And finally, he was put to death. But none of that ever slowed him down. God's grace just made him stronger so that he could carry through with God's mission. And that mission, he said, was to show God's love and caring. He said, I boast in this so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that word that he uses in the Greek for may rest on me was describing putting a tent over something. God's grace covers us so that the only thing that is seen is his grace and not my problems. You see how grace works to help us? Sufficient and efficient. Well, I asked you to think about a, a problem that you are or maybe have experienced. I want to tell you about a little problem that I had the other day. It was with a zipper on my jacket. <laughs> it broke. Uh, 
the bottom part separated, and I couldn't get the zipper to come off, so I couldn't take the jacket off. Now I know you're thinking, oh, pastor, such a little problem. Yeah, but there was an illustration in there for the sermon. <laughs> Finally, I got it to work. But what I was trying to do is I was trying to put back that zipper. I was trying to get those two sides to close up, and I couldn't do it. And I thought, how can that little thing do it, but I can't? After I finally got it off so we didn't have to go to bed with it on or show up here this morning wearing that jacket, I decided I'm going to go on the internet and figure out how do zippers work? Did you know that there's a whole history about zippers on the internet? <laughs> yeah. And it describes how zippers work. Zippers were started uh, back in the 1800s, and uh, it started out by um, a guy who was the inventor of the sewing machine. And he entitled it, or called a zipper, the Automatic Continuous Clothing Closure. Aren't you glad we just call it a zipper now? But he got too busy and distracted and went off to invent the sewing machine, so he did not get the fame of being known as the father of the zipper. However, about 40 years later, another guy picked up that idea. And he made some little changes uh, to it. And finally, in 1893, the zipper was ready. And he took it to the World Fair in Chicago. But nobody was really interested in it. Until about another 20 years later, a Swedish electrical engineer who was hired by his father-in-law in his factory to be a designer took on this zipper issue and he decided instead of just four teeth in an inch, he needed about 10 or 11 teeth in an inch. And he perfected it, but only after his wife died. He was in such grief that he just buried himself then in his work. And through that, he brought about the zipper. But even then, it didn't catch on very well. It wasn't until the B.F. Goodrich Company decided that they could use that zipper on their tobacco pouches or on their rubber boots. And then somebody about another 20 years later decided, you know, this would be a great thing to put on children's clothing because it would make parenting so much easier. And from there, it just went on and on, and now we have zippers all over our clothing, on our backpacks, on our luggages, all over the place. The zipper. What does it do? It's that little glider thing that actually separates the teeth and then puts them together. Two opposite things coming together because of that little movement. My friend, that's what God's grace does. And sometimes God's grace works over a period of time. Through people we would never expect to have their hand involved with it. But finally, it brings it together for closure. That's how God's grace works through our problems. I want to close with this little poem that describes God's grace at work in our life. I'll walk beside you on the world's highway. Your darkest night shall be as brightest day. With my right hand to guide you, never fear, for to thy Savior's heart thou art most dear. I'll stay beside you in the battle's strife, tis I who brought your soul from death to life. 
in peace and quiet, or amid the din, be guided by my still, small voice within. I'll watch beside you when death's hour is near. My constant presence shall dispel all fear. Lean hard upon me, trusting in my love. I'll bear thee upward to the realms above. There'll come a happy time when wars shall cease and nations dwell in harmony and peace. We'll meet our loved ones what a day twill be when God himself gives glorious liberty. Whether it's confusions, whether it's troubles, hardships that we go through, whatever it is, let Jesus handle your problems and then simply call it grace. Amen.